On this week's episode, we talk to John Houston of the band Stomatopod. This is The Operative. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's a delight. Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is John Houston. Um, I'm from Iowa originally, a small town in Iowa in Southeast Iowa called Ottumwa, which is, um, it's about 20, when I was there, it was like 24, 25,000 people. And it was like perfectly isolated, like an hour and a half from anything really. Uh, so I'm 41, I'll be 42 this year. Um, and so I kind of came of age, uh, perfectly timed for like the grunge movement. Uh, so that's kind of where the story begins, but, uh, my story is that, yeah, I grew up in Iowa, went to high school, eventually moved away for college, uh, came to Chicago in the year 2000, like the Conan O'Brien sketch. Um, I worked in newspapers as my primary gig for 13 years as a newspaper reporter. And then, uh, for the last, however many that is seven i guess i've been in like healthcare communications uh but um way back when when i was i guess 13 was that 1991 was that the year punk broke yeah um so my story is about nirvana right so uh in Ottumwa, iowa in 1991 i don't know if this is what it was like for you but our cable provider didn't even offer MTV. So my town had never seen MTV unless they went out of town on vacation or something. Um, so while all, all this stuff was happening, like when Nirvana was getting big, nobody knew who they were, you know? I certainly didn't until I got like the Nirvana Nevermind CD for Christmas that year from my older brother who was in college. Uh, so I... <laughs> And I think I got that, I got three CDs that Christmas. Uh, Nevermind, Michael Jackson's Dangerous, and um, I feel like, what was the other one? I had a very small CD collection at this point. I wasn't really that into music. Like I had been as a kid, I was into the, the Kinks and, and like the Who, but that stuff my older siblings were into really. Um, like I tried to get into music when I was in junior high and I think I had like a Bon Jovi tape, you know, and, uh, ACDC's The Razor's Edge. I remember I had that. Uh, but it wasn't like, it was like, it wasn't like my main thing. Um, so then I got Nevermind. And I remember looking at the picture, I don't know, do you know the, the, the sleeve or whatever? Yeah. Um, there's pictures like, of the people, but they don't have names attributed to them. So I'm like, oh, it says this Kurt Cobain plays guitar. I'm like, oh, that must be that guy who later turned out to be Dave Grohl. <laughs> like, I didn't know who was who. Right. I'd never seen the video. Um, and it wasn't until they played on Saturday Night Live like a month later, like January of 92, 
I'm like, oh, I was wrong. That's the drummer <laughs> that I thought was the singer. You know, I definitely knew that Chris Novoselic was the bass player. Like he just looks like a bass player, right? <laughs> so that was the that was the kickstart of my obsession with music. And that Christmas, I got my big present that year was a, a Sega Game Gear. It was like their Game Boy version. So I like returned it immediately, got the money, and I bought a PV guitar. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, a red and white Strat copy guitar, and uh, started taking lessons from this uh, um, this, this like heavy metal Christian rocker guitar player who had like a really angular guitar with a spider web on it, and he gave lessons in the back of this dumpy little music store in town so he taught me some chords and for 30 minutes he'd like listen to a song that you brought in on a cassette he'd learn it and then teach it to you it was kind of a scam but <laughs> that's how i got into it after a while he kind of was trying to move me into I don't know, the intro to music theory or something mm -hmm. like i had no interest in that stuff well mainly because like He'd be like, yeah, this this uh, this grunge or alternative music is fine, but you got to listen to, and he'd put on like Eric Johnson, you know, or Ingwe Mountstein or something. And it's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, like, what if I need to know, you know, the Phrygian mode or whatever? Uh, it just, I just wanted to like, you know, make up some dumb punk songs. So... Once I was able to kind of put some chords together, I kind of just like said, see you later. Although he still plays guitar, this the, the teacher, he's still, he was like a lifelong, I'm gonna be a musician forever kind of guy. So more power to him. But um, yeah, he still makes these like Christian heavy metal. He kind of morphed a little bit, but yeah, very technical. So yeah. once you started like figuring out chords and stuff like that did you then start writing stuff or or start a band or that was the idea so um yeah i started writing like you know some pretty simple like kind of pop the punk songs obviously in the nirvana uh vein um although i will say what was good about uh nirvana and that whole time period where it was like considered like this movement was so we didn't have a radio station, we didn't have MTV, but for some reason, like the grocery store had like, uh, in the magazine aisle would have like Rip Magazine and Circus, uh, uh, Hit Parader, that's what I'm thinking of, uh, something Circus, I can't remember, do you remember like those yeah. rock magazines? But yeah, something like that. Like the, 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 so those magazines were at like the local grocery store and all of a sudden like, they had stories about Nirvana. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna buy that magazine. And then you read about, which is kind of a bad thing. It sends you down these weird paths, like, oh, this new band, Ugly Kid Joe, they sound like they're going to be the next big thing. Uh, but what was good about Nirvana is they were always name dropping other bands that they liked and wearing t-shirts for them. And so that made it really easy to, all of a sudden you get into like the sub pop catalog and then you read their dumb descriptions and you order their records. And, um, that kind of led to a bunch of places. I mean, there were a bunch of missteps around the same time period, like uh, for sure. Um, but that was what was really awesome. I thought about Nirvana besides the music was that they were obviously trying to shine a light on the underground uh, because people like me would have no way of knowing <laughs> what was happening in the real world. Uh, so yeah, that made me want to start a band and stuff. 
Um, and my first, well, I did a bunch of like just stuff on my own, recording cassettes, kind of Daniel Johnston style, only way less good. Um, and then I started a band in 92 or three, I guess. It was before I could drive a car, I know, because my drummer had to give me rides places. But yeah, my parents were really cool and like let us practice in the basement. Played shows at like the local park with like a overhang and some other bands would get together. And there were other bands that were like starting up in the Tumwa at the time, which was really cool. So yeah, started playing in bands and just never stopped. <clears throat> So what was what was that first band called? Delirium. Yeah. It was uh yeah, I've got like a a case of tapes somewhere in here. A uh, lot of embarrassing things in in this closet right over there. Um there was Delirium put out a cassette and then I don't know why we stopped playing. But then the bass player and I started another band with a couple other guys. And that was called the Smirnoffs. And we all changed our last name to Smirnoff, like the Ramones. And then the and then we had a fight with the singer and he didn't come to record. So we changed our name to a different band and recorded a whole album of songs. But then then the Smirnoffs got back together, but then the new band, which was called Citrus Boy, that kept going. And, um, and then I always do like, like little one-off projects with other people or just cause I always just, I just wanted to play with like different people, whoever I could play with, I would try to get uh, together with. And so I remember that I did a tape with the, the drummer from this band called Gristle in town and he was fantastic. Like just amazing drummer. Yeah. And then, uh, what I'm trying to think of other dumb band names, uh, Guild the Lily. There was a band called Guild the Lily that made a tape. My buddy Mike, uh, who was like three years older than me, and it felt like I was punching way above my weight uh, to hang out, even hang out with that guy, let alone make music with him. So uh, it was always very confidence building and then uh, and stuff. Uh, I would say like before I started playing guitar, like I had very few friends <laughs> <laughs> and and very low self esteem, uh, and so that was like probably the best thing about music was that built some confidence and made new friends that weren't like the sports people <laughs> you know so yeah. so you were able to get into nirvana through nevermind did you continue did you like try and uh, go back and pick up we're supposed, and... <laughs> we're supposed to talk about nirvana right uh yes uh so um yeah absolutely so got really into the nevermind thing um, I became known as the guy who likes Nirvana to the point now where I'm I'm positive that if you ask almost anybody I went to high school with, they would associate that band with me, which is kind of bizarre considering that like a huge band. Um, uh, definitely went back and got Bleach, uh, dubbed it onto a cassette to play in my mom's car and eventually in my car when I turned 16. But um, for sure. Uh, and Bleach was inspiring too, because it was, it seemed more doable <laughs> to me. And it's not even the case. I think the songs are probably more complex, but I'm like, I'm like, oh, if I can just shoot for Bleach, maybe someday I could be as good as Nevermind. 
I don't know what I was thinking, but like that, but that's not what I was thinking. Um, and it was just, you know, really gnarly and uh, brooding and, and heavy. And it was just exactly what I wanted to hear because growing up in a tumble at the time, I'm sure I know I hated it because <laughs> you feel so remote. Um, looking back on it, I have different opinions, but um, it felt perfect for the time where like, like, oh, I, everybody I go to school with sucks and uh, all that stuff. Uh, it felt like the perfect music for not feeling like you had any friends. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I want to say I probably took to that guitar guy. I probably brought him a cassette of uh, Team Spirit. And I think he told me it was too hard to learn at first. Not for him, for me. So like I started with uh, probably like Polly. And, uh, oh, I remember he was trying to pick up uh, lithium and I didn't know anything about keys or anything at the time. I know now that I think that they tuned, they're in standard tuning, but uh, uh, down to D. Mm -hmm. But he had this, you know, Floyd Rose tremolo, so he couldn't detune. He probably didn't even know that. So he was, he was playing with like the standard D chord to F sharp. And, and like, I'm like, this doesn't sound right. And he's like, no, this is the note. This is the, I'm like, it might be the no, but it doesn't sound right. And he's like, get out of here. <laughs> um, and I, as, as big of, you know, never mind the, the CD was, I think I, I videotaped Nirvana on Silent Live, those two songs. I think that was pretty big too, to be able to like watch them be a band together. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until months later that I even saw the Teen Spirit video, you know? Um, so just seeing what a band was supposed to look like to sound like that was important um and let's see um we, we were on vacation a family vacation all my siblings are older so i was almost an only child and we were on a summer vacation my dad was really into studying civil war history so we were in gettysburg pennsylvania and i was like wherever we stay just make sure that the the motel as MTV, I don't know how you would do that in 1992, but, and I remember being in this motel room in Gettysburg in the afternoon, having, I don't think I'd ever seen MTV before, and they had this show on, and all these kids are sitting around this big room, and Sonic Youth was playing, like, like, off of the Dirty album that had just come out, and then they're like, oh, we're gonna kick to this new, this is a world premiere for the new Nirvana video, and it was Lithium, uh, so I saw that first before Come As You Are, um, Teen Spirit. And that blew my mind, right? Like all this stuff is just on television and everyone else can just watch it whenever they want. I remember thinking that was just amazing. Um, so yeah, and then um, when I remember being really excited and hearing that the new In Utero was gonna come out. And I remember I was I was able to like, tweak my uh, boombox radio to pick up a radio station from like Des Moines or maybe even Cedar Rapids. I don't know. And I remember I'm, just, I'm like, I'm just going to listen to this until they like play the new Nirvana song. Cause it, they were going to play it before the record. And I remember coming in to my room and, and catching like what turned out to be heart shaped box midway through. And it was like, I think this is them, but I'm not sure it sounds so different. Like, I remember that was like an eye-opening experience. Like, like <laughs> they're not just doing Nevermind 2, they're doing something totally different. And that was awesome. 
and uh, got to see them on that tour uh, when they played in Davenport, Iowa. Still have the ticket stub. Oh. It was a Jawbreaker, Mud Honey, and Nirvana. Oh. So I was a sophomore in high school. I know, right? <laughs> it was supposed to be the Wipers, um, I guess. And then the Wipers, I don't know what happened, uh, backed out or couldn't do it. And so Jawbreaker got put on that leg of the tour. So that's okay. So that would have been pretty special. But because um, I, was, I was already at that point a big Wipers fan um following the you know the the tentacles um i i can tell you how the wipers i'm i'm positive i first heard of them because nirvana was on a tribute record for for wipers right uh and i got that and then i heard all the other bands doing wiper songs i'm like i need to get the wipers records and then i'm like i should get these other awesome bands who are doing wiper songs differently and that's how i got in this band called hazel from portland that became like a lifelong favorite band of mine and among other ones like calamity jane i think were on there too but um that was fantastic but yeah then seeing nirvana live was pretty great yeah i don't know and by that point i was definitely like playing starting you know bands and uh, playing around otomwa and eddieville and little dumpy places around southeastern iowa in barns and stuff <laughs> so then of course with the history of Nirvana, then Kurt Cobain uh, passes away and was it, it was 94. So did that, was that something that, that affected you? Where did you feel removed enough from it that it didn't affect you as much or? Uh, I'm sure it affected me. It was pretty, um, I mean, I felt it was, it, it affected me for sure um probably because i had i felt like i had such a close connection to the band and their music that i felt like you know pretty close uh or simpatico or something uh so that was rough and of course there were the people at school who like uh mocked me uh ruthlessly like when i got back to school for it so it was just that kind of place um it didn't bother me that much by that point then making fun of me but it was it was uh, expected um yeah no that was uh it was rough i remember being excited when i heard that Grohl was doing the foo fighters and stuff at some point not too long after that you remember that like, eddie vetter did that uh like satellite radio yeah so i remember tuning into to that on the radio terrestrial radio <laughs> um and hearing what was i guess were demos for uh, Foo Fighters songs. I'm like, oh, and they were really like, uh, like um, distorted sounding. They sounded really cool. I think they sound a little bit cleaner on the record now. But I remember being really excited, like, oh, this is gonna be great. Like, <laughs> Dave Grohl's gonna make music. And, uh, yeah, that was. Um, I like the first two Foo Fighter records. You know, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'd already kind of gotten into like other stuff by that point. So, um, but yeah. I'm sure I'm sure the Kirk Cobain suicide affected me. I'm, I'm positive, but uh, it's hard to remember. I don't think I kept a journal or anything to to go back and, and see what, how old was I? 94. So I was 15 going on 16. Okay. So well over half my life ago. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, like they some people of our generation say like they remember where they were when they heard the news. Mm -hmm. so, I guess that's true. I remember I, I was like, 
I was like ill. So I was homesick from school. And I remember uh, I was watching some movie on v VHS and the movie ended and like the last TV sh uh, station that you were watching pops up and it was, I remember seeing Kurt Loader and the news and all that. And I think I recorded, I think I put in a, a blank cassette and recorded a bunch of the coverage. I'm sure I, I bet I have that somewhere. I've never watched it since. So. <laughs> what else about Nirvana can I say? Hmm. Unplugged happened. I remember watching that with with my mom. She thought that was her favorite Nirvana record because it wasn't so loud. And uh, I remember that. I remember when I remember when from the muddy banks of the Wishka the live record came out. Yeah. I was in college. I was a freshman in college. I got up early that day and walked across the quad to the the on campus bookstore and bought the CD. Oh, I mean, oh, okay. So back in the when I was in high school, like there were these weird bootlegs that would come out. There was this one uh, record store, like independent record store that kind of started around this period, probably capitalized on the fact that people were all of a sudden into like rock music. It was called Soundwaves. Uh, and well, the best part about Soundwaves is that you could, they would let you come behind the counter and open up the, the catalog. You could order any catalog, any record from their distributor that you wanted. They call you and you come and you buy it, uh, which was great. Uh, that actually, a funny story about that, I remember I had the Sub Pop 200 compilation. Did you ever have that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so not knowing anything about anything, I, I went to that record store. I'm like, I've got this Sub Pop 200 album. Uh, I heard there's a Sub Pop 100. Can you get it for me? I, I think I made it up. Like, I don't know. I think I later heard there was like a Sub Pop 100 that was like a few, a couple of Melvins and stuff. But at that point, they didn't exist in their, their catalog. They're like, oh yeah, sure kid, we'll get it for you. And when I came back to the store, they had, it was, um, it was, it was the Alternative Tentacles 100th release, which was a Dead Kennedys tribute record with, it was okay. It had like the digits <laughs> and steel pole bathtub doing, <laughs> but like it was a different time <laughs> oh jeez I, I would be so disappointed if i if i was expecting like mud honey and nirvana and and i just got a dead kennedy's tribute <laughs> yeah there were a couple good bands on there it was weird it was <laughs> um i want to say that was the first time i'd, I'd ever heard of the, of the dead kennedy's song even because I was 14 or 15. Even, I mean, it was hard to find that stuff back then. Uh, but yeah, so this run record store would have every once in a while they'd have these bootlegs. Um, and whenever they'd get like a Nirvana like live show, I would, I'd buy it and that felt really exciting. There were a couple bootlegs that had like these like, I don't know, unreleased songs or outtakes and that was actually confidence inspiring too, because the songs were like way worse than the stuff that was released on the record. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, see, they can, they can put out or they can create subpar stuff too. They're human. Um, I, everything about the grunge movement was perfect for me because like you didn't have to be perfect, you didn't have to wear anything special. You know, it was like everything about it was very confidence inspiring. So 
it fit perfectly with what I needed at that time. And that's probably why I glommed onto it so hardcore. You make your own t-shirts, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with like a Sharpie. And that's funny. That, that's true. Cause like, uh, I remember going away to college and coming back for break and my dad saying, I found some of your old shirts and uh, they look fine. So I'm wearing them. And he opened up his, he like unbuttoned his shirt and it said flipper and it had the fish on it. And like, he found like my flipper shirt and he was wearing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I also kind of blame Nirvana for setting me down this path of, uh, you know, being obsessed with guitars. So that's part of like my Nirvana obsession was uh, uh, I always wanted the, the type of guitar that Cobain played on Silent Live that first time. Uh, if I'd only waited, they I would have uh, you know Fender would have actually released it, which they did. But um, yeah, I remember so a year out of college or two maybe two thousand two ish. Um, I had my first job or whatever, and, and uh, I can't remember how I even stumbled on it. I found it was a Japanese language, Japanese music store. And they were selling a Fender Japan Cobain guitar, the Jaguar with the humbuckers. And, stuff. and I'm like, oh, this is, and you, there wasn't Google Translate or anything. So it was like a real pickle. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Like, for one, it's kind of expensive and they have to ship it from Japan. How does that even work? Um, so I emailed them, figuring like maybe somebody there speaks English. <laughs> I'm like, I'd like to buy, I'd like to buy this Cobain guitar. And they sent a response back. It was basically like they were prohibited by Fender USA from selling their instruments abroad. Like the, I don't know what happened, but there was like a compete non-compete thing happening. So the, the only way I would have been able to get the guitar was to actually go to Japan, which wasn't going to happen on my newspaper reporter salary <laughs> at the uh, weekly newspaper. So I, this is the, probably the one of the, uh, I'm not a big, I don't know, I'm not a very trusting person, <laughs> but for some reason, I somehow on the internet in 2002 found a person in California, a total stranger, I'm just telling you way too much. This is how insane I am. I found an, a total stranger, not connected to anybody I even knew, who said he had connections in Japan. And that he, all right, and that he would, <laughs> if I would send him a, uh, a money order for a slight markup, he would have his contact in Japan buy the guitar and ship it to me directly. And I went to the bank and I got a money order. And Chris, oh. the guy was trustworthy. Got the guy and bought me this guitar and I've had it ever since. It's, and it's, and so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't believe it. My, I told my mom the story, she was horrified, but yeah. <laughs> I, I I really thought that was going a different way. <laughs> I know, I know. Imagine what I was thinking in my dumpy little apartment, uh, thinking I just and it's you know weeks have gone by. I'm like I sent this guy 
it was like over a thousand dollars it was insane at the time like i'd never spent that much on a piece of equipment i'm like what am i doing and then it showed up so wow <laughs> um so for mars hill and stomatopod where can people find that stuff yeah well the band camp they're both on band camp i wish i remembered the url because they're both uh, something Stomatopod at Bandcamp and then Mars Hill, the band, I think. Uh, both bands have been poorly named, I feel like. Um, yeah. So we are just Stomatopod at Bandcamp.com <laughs> and then Mars Hill band at Bandcamp.com. We're on Facebook, both of us, and uh, yeah, Spotify and Apple Music and all that stuff. So um, Stomatopod has two full lengths and a split seven inch with the band out. Well, uh, thank you for talking to me. Chris, thank you for talking to me. The Operative is produced in conjunction with Radio Notes. For more information, visit radionote.com and find all of our past episodes at theoperative.bandgeek.com. Thank you for listening.